Welcome to the Heart of Dad podcast. Heart of Dad is a podcast for entrepreneurs who are passionate about their families and business and looking to find more clarity, more balance and more alignment in all areas of their life. Come and join the community at heartofdad.com or on Facebook at groups forward slash heartofdad. This week on Heart of Dad, I'm interviewing Ben Kiloy. Ben is a US Marine veteran turned blogger, life coach, speaker, and now podcaster who seeks to bring military veteran dads home to their families. He resides in Milton, Wisconsin, with his wife and three beautiful kids. Ben went through what most transitioning veterans go through of redefining their identity and rediscovering a passion and purpose for life. A seminar changed it all for him and realigned him to his passion for leadership. Since then, he's been on a mission to master leadership principles and use his passion for leadership to help dads understand who they are, develop the skills to overcome adversity and their own life and choices and truly come home to their life. So this week on Heart of Dad, I'm delighted to introduce Ben Kiloy. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today, Matt? Yeah, good, thanks. It's great to have you on the show. I'm really excited. We we booked this like, my life is completely different, I feel like, when we first booked this, which was like two and a half months ago. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And uh, we were talking about all sorts of things and you were pointing me in some very interesting directions, actually, including, um, was it uh, DadFest or uh, Dad 2.0, was it called? Uh, yep, Dad 2.0. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, has that happened now or is it going to happen? with? Uh... Well, the, the next one is in LA in October. So time will tell whether October has the world back to normal or whether it's a completely different world still. I'm not sure but the next one is scheduled in october okay so there's there's still time for things to play out and uh, hopefully you'll be able to make it then yep so um yeah just tell us a little bit about yourself if you will so i'm a marine a a a marine veteran for those in the uk that may not know what that term means a lot of people don't always know what a united states marine is so i was a united states marine a veteran a husband a father three kids eight five and three live in Wisconsin, just south of Madison, which is the central part of the United States. I got out of high school, joined the Marine Corps, did my four years, got stationed in Okinawa for three of those. So got to see a lot of Asia, got out with the simple idea that I was meant for bigger things in life. But then my default programming went into get a job like the military told me to do. Then I got lost in that process for about 10 years. And it wasn't until I went to a seminar for making a transition from staff to supervisor that I really fell in love with the idea of leadership. And that leadership really ignited the self-growth journey of understanding. I started reading, but I really wasn't doing a lot of action. So then about four years ago, I started a blog for veterans. And I didn't really have a clear who of who I was helping other than veterans. But I was like, I'm just going to go through the motion here and write and get good at different skills and create a network, create friends. Did all of that. And in September of 2018, I went to a military uh, influencer conference and essentially told my story about my podcast or wanting to do a podcast for military dads. And I made this mill spouse, which is military spouse, cry. And at that point, I realized like, this is a real need. This is what I could do with my message and my voice. And so three months later, I launched the podcast for military veteran dads. And now it's over a year old. I've got two episodes per week on it now. And I'm living more and more to living my best life, which there's nothing more than I wanted to season my life than just to be a dad. And I also, on January 27th, I lost my job. My position was eliminated at work. 
So I got thrust into being a dad and trying to make my podcast work. In some ways, it saved my life because it gave me something to, to use to get through what I was going through. And now through now it's been a few months since that, and I'm even more excited about being a dad, me more excited about trying to build the business behind this podcast so that I don't have to get a job. But as we were talking, one of the things I'm having to choose is, do I mix within coronavirus timeframe? Do I work on trying to get a job to try to make sure that I have some stability for the family going forward? Or, or do I try to dive all into where I'm at? Yeah, so th- thanks for that. And there's a ton of stuff you've shared in, in, that, uh, in that introduction. And we'll get it perhaps a little bit later into the discussion about how you choose between following the dream and building that and, and maybe some of the conflict with uh, you know, just getting money uh, through the door as well. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think you're the first person I've had on the podcast who has a, a military uh, background. And you know, I'm curious to know what you see, you know, if there are things that are unique challenges for people who are military veterans um, who become dads you know, from the lifestyle that you've led and uh, the things that you've seen and experienced in life that are the things that, that bring to bear specifically for military dads. Often it's the, it's the, it's the, the notion or the unspoken words that you're not supposed to admit how you feel that in a lot of times in military, like your emotions will keep you alive in battle. That, that when your anxiety, your anything that fear, like all of that is like a, survival mechanism because there could be someone on the corner that's trying to kill you but at the same time that feeling of emotion when you come home whether it be you're out of control kids or whether it be a, a disagreement with your wife all of those motions that you don't put words to they essentially create these barriers between you and your family and the more you don't deal with those emotions the more you feel scared when you get close to them they make you uneasy and your brain's naturally always wanting to try to keep you safe. So it pulls you away. And that disengagement is one of the things that really is really tough for military dads because we sometimes struggle to reconnect emotionally and physically with our families. And we can come home physically, but a lot of times our brain really isn't all there because we're trying to isolate ourselves. And it's that isolation that really creates a lot of conflict. And one that there's kind of like two end results for military dads. There's one you eventually come to a conclusion that you think your family is better without you, that you being in their presence is a burden that you want to remove from their life. So you take your own life in order to leave that burden. But really all you do is the pain that you feel inside, you pass it on. Or the other conclusion is you just retract so far from your family that your whole marriage and family explode and you actually don't get to be a part of your family at all. And you're trying to pick your pieces up five years later and realize your kids really don't know who you are, that they might even think you're still scary, but then you're in a completely different world from where you are. So my message, my main thing is to help dads reconnect with their families emotionally, physically, and become the best dads they can. And I'm a big believer that our family is our legacy. And as military dads, we have a depth that in the United States, it's only 7% of the population is a veteran, that we can gift our kids some amazing view sites if we step into their life and help them grow up. And we can create some amazing adults and create an amazing legacy, but we have to be present and we have to be connected. What have you found for yourself, Ben, that's helped with that journey to, to get you present and connected? Because I think what you just said was, was very compelling. You know, I've lost uh, a friend to suicide and you know, he wasn't in the military, but I, the story you told about 
kind of feeling like your family is better off without you, I think, you know, is a theme that particularly in male suicide that, that uh, I hear quite often. So I'm just wondering about what, what your own journey has been and how you've, how you've transcended that. So my journey is more where I just felt isolated, which is another thing that you can feel as a veteran, that you had this community, you had this tribe, and as you get out, you don't really realize the secret sauce to recreate it in the civilian world. And they don't really teach you. They don't really acknowledge that it's something you're going to need. To like, here's how you'd recreate this secret recipe that you have in the military. And throughout my entire life, I never had a huge collection of friends. I never really felt accepted from high school. I was... My, my dating career in high school was often filled with rejection. So that often like every person I would go up and maybe say hello to was a high school girl that was going to say no. So I would just not do it. And that really created a, a, a disconnection of value of internal value of myself that I had these stories that I was just a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin that was never going to do anything and that no one really liked. And if they did pretend like it was just them pretending it really wasn't me being who I needed to be. And when I turned 30, I had my first midlife crisis. So that was my first pivotal point. And it hit because I didn't realize that I I was thinking about the end of my life. And I'm like, I don't think there's going to be anybody there to say nice things. Like, I don't think I'm going to touch anybody's life in a way that like you, you see funerals where everybody and their mother comes out. Like, I don't think I'm anywhere near that. And that was a really scary and lonely feeling to process and be aware of even. And about a year and a half, someone gave me some advice that I use in multiple times in different areas, but this is where it started that like, if you want to result in your life you never had, then you need to do something that you've never done. And for me, it was friends. I it was like, I never have had friends. I, I, okay. So if I never had friends, what have I never done to really create that? And I was like, you know what? You really suck at talking to people and you need to get through this. You need to get over it. And, and I was always at the part and there was dads there and I wanted to say hello, but that internal, like, what if the dad just doesn't like me? That would just keep me saying no. Or he probably just wants to play with the kids. He doesn't want to have a conversation. Probably had a long day at work. But then I was like, you know what? One day I'm just going to say F it. I said hello. And turns out he was just waiting for someone to say hello too. And they're just waiting for someone to go first. And like the third dad that I did that to at the park was a veteran. And I was like, whoa, it just happened. I got a, a, new, a new veteran friend now that lives in our same neighborhood and we're still friends. That all happened just because I said hello. And so for my journey of like figuring out my value proposition internally and externally, it began really by having the community around you that you feel connected. Like if you don't feel connected, you feel isolated. And if you feel isolated, that monkey brain inside your head is going to come up with a thousand different reasons of why your life is the way that it sees. And it's only interpretation for that is your past. So if you have a past that's filled with those types of feelings where you weren't good enough, it's going to interpret your current feelings based on the reality of your past. And so in order to help change that, you've got to introduce new feelings, new perspectives and new actions that you've taken, like saying hello, that proved that like, whoa, well, that's a BS story. Like I can be who I am. And that over a five-year journey was pretty much that saying hello with the dads of the park. Like now I'm addicted to talking to strangers. Like the idea that I have a podcast is completely crazy. I would never in a million years have predicted at 30 that I would have had a podcast. But when I go to conferences, I, I love talking to people. I love that energy. I love the excitement because you're always one conversation away from something amazing. And now I'm always trying to lean into that. So I don't miss that shot that I don't take because what before 30, I was missing shots every day to change my life. And I can say like where I am today, like, and I often repeat this for veterans or any dad, like 
the amount of opportunity you feel in your life, if you feel stuck, is directly correlated to the amount of strangers that you talk to daily. And if you're not talking to people, you're not creating new opportunity and you're going to be stuck with the same set of circumstances and opportunity that got you to where you are today. But conversation is what that five-year journey taught me. Like conversation is how you move your life forward because human connection is what's going to feed you. It's going to excite you, but then someone else can help pull you and open a door you never knew existed. Such an amazing story, Ben. And, and that all came from that realization that at your funeral, you, know, you may not have um, you know, that, that group of people celebrating you that, that your heart longed for. Um, mm-hmm. That is just a feeling of connected. And I was just always alone and I wasn't, I wasn't acknowledging and I didn't have the awareness that emotion. And so all of my actions surround it, surrounded that to protect that feeling. My brain wanted that feeling to feel safe and it didn't want to do that, but that's not what creates an exciting life. That's a life where you eventually just reach 40 and have your midlife crisis. Cause you're like, I've just lived 40 years of my life and I really haven't done anything. And it's often related to just, you just retracted in your life. You didn't engage life. Hmm. Such a great example. And um, so, so when, when you were 30, you already had your first child by then. Is that right? If I'm doing the yes. maths? My, I was like, I turned 30, I want to say 2013 timeframe. So my first daughter was born in 2012. So I had held my daughter in my arms. I had held her in a way that I was sick and I was like, man, she's going to look up to me now. Like this is my, this is my flesh and blood here. And I don't think I'm anybody that I want her to copy. Like that was another feeling that was haunting, but I didn't really know the roots of it. I just knew the situation. I could, I could kind of feel it, but I didn't know where the roots of that feeling were going But then I really realized like it goes back to not being connected and like I've repeated in the podcast over and over and it's easiest way to sum up this is that for millennia, men and women have done life in tribes. They shared the load, they learned together, they lifted each other up. No one person had to have it all figured out. But in the last 200 years, that's exactly the society we have set up. And most people aren't aware that they're never designed to do life alone. You need that tribe surrounding you to because life's going to give you more than you can handle. And that's why you need that community to share that load. And it's something you don't realize until you start building that community and you start realizing once you share something off your chest, you're like, I feel lighter. Well, that's because you shared the load of what you were carrying on your heart. Like your heart is only designed to carry so much. And that's why you need other people to help feel that with you because it's, it's just sometimes too heavy to handle. And sometimes that heaviness carries to the end where you think your only way out is suicide. But it's once you share it, you're like, Oh man, I feel a thousand times better. I, I didn't need to kill myself for that. But that brain inside your head can convince yourself amazing and crazy things at the same time. I mean, there's a, there's a few directions I want to jump in with that, but I want to sort of roll back to your <laughs> early days in the, in the military and um, you know, the military is a, is a form of tribal structure, mm-hmm. isn't it? And yep. I'm sort of curious to know a little bit about how, um, you know, it sounds like your journey around friendship, you know, that really came to the fore when you were 30, but you know, what was happening when you were in the military? Were you, were you finding that you, uh, you were making connections with people or was it a bit of a struggle then? How, did, how was that playing out? I would say the earlier programming in my operating system was very good at being who I thought I needed to be to fit in. So that's what I did in high school. And in the military, if, I mean, I had quite a few different roommates in the military. So I had uh, all kinds of from the spectrum from rock and roll to 
very uptight to a very relaxed guy and just cool. And, but all of those required me not necessarily to learn who I was, but I learned how to fit in. And when you learn how to fit in, it's, it's good, but you lose a little bit every time you learn how to fit in. And that like, and also being stationed in Okinawa, you, you're all in the same boat. Like you're on the same Island. There's nowhere to go. So that kind of pushes you inward naturally to hang out with each other because you don't have any other option. You can't get in a car to go to Vegas. Like if you're stationed at Camp Pendleton in California, there's nowhere to go except, Hey, do you want to go out and a car ride for this afternoon? Because we're together and there's nowhere else to go and there's nothing else to do. So that helped a little bit, but before even getting to Okinawa, I would say there was still a feeling of rejection. And I felt always felt like the kid that was always too weak to stand up for who he was. And so I always just kind of became very docile and, and um, moldable where if there was someone that had a very a dominant personality, I would always retreat under that shadow. And I can remember when I was in Marine Corps school, like there was a lot of people that had the kind of that personality where they had to be the dominant person to kind of survive in their life. Like I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. So like for me, there wasn't like that social challenge that I needed to like rise up in a gang to try to survive to make sure that I made it. And in those types of comparisons, like I just retreated and it was always that weak Ben Colloy that wasn't going to do anything. I was just that dumb farm boy that nobody ever really cared whether he was in a conversation or not. But it was the, it was a very good lie. I told myself every day because that was just part of my programming. That was what I thought my, my life was going to turn into. And it's just kind of a survival mechanism that your brain starts figuring out how to get through every day. Even in boot camp, I had the similar thing. I didn't fit in. I, my almost my main objective was how do I not be seen in boot camp? Not how do I rise to the leadership challenge that you had the capacity to do in boot camp. You can be a squad leader. You can be the, the guide on. And all of that, I was, it wasn't me. I was very like, I don't want to be seen in boot camp. And again, those, it was those dominant personalities. And I remember a time, maybe like it was, it was like we boot camp for Marines is 13 weeks. And I think it was like week six and I was getting picked on. And there was a moment that we were outside playing a mind game and I just broke down and cried. And that moment was probably like the first kind of seed that I realized because then people came towards me and actually like, hey, one of our Marines is, is down and we need to help lift him up. And I didn't have that perspective at the time, but looking back, like it's kind of the magic part of vulnerability that, that your brain says you'll explode and die instantly. But the moment you share something vulnerable, people actually come towards you. And it's, it was like kind of that first witness to it, but it took years after that still to try to try to figure out like what was that Ben Cloy doing back then that wasn't getting the results that he wanted. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. I think, um, you know, there's, a, there's so much richness in that sort of story about vulnerability and um, well, can you tell us a bit, how did you get to the military in the first place? And what was your journey from kind of rural Wisconsin to, to being a Marine? It's kind it was of one of, picture. it one is, <laughs> the exact opposite of where people would have thought that I would have ended up. So I couldn't run. I couldn't, I was never good. I never really held the rifle. We weren't a hunting family and I couldn't do a pull-up. I would have been voted least likely to join the Marine Corps in high school. But I mean, it's not like we actually did that, but that's like, I was the opposite. I could barely run the first, the mile, which is one of the requirements to start training towards to get to boot camp. I could barely do it. I was going to die type person. 
So I was going through the process, like you think about school, I was always good at computers. That was kind of just naturally where I was going to go. Didn't seem to explore in the military. And my first gut, I didn't really do a lot of research on the other branches, but I knew the Air Force was very computerized. And I was like, okay, these two align. And they, I mean, they'd send you to a boot camp in the Air Force, but it's, it's one of the easiest branches to get through. And so I was like, this seems like a normal path. So we had the recruiter out to the house. We talked to him for a little bit and everything was fine. And about probably two weeks later, I would have been raising my right hand for the Air Force. But the day that changed my life is the church picnic. And out of all people at the church picnic was a Marine recruiter with a blow up bouncy house for the kids. And I had crossed the Marines off the list because I was like, I just thought they were a bunch of infantry. I didn't think they were anything more than a specialized infantry unit. And I was like, I know I don't want to just shoot stuff up. I am not a grunt. So I crossed them off. And the craziest part is my mom wanted to make sure that I was exploring all my options. So she went up to him and talked to him first. I didn't even have the balls to go up and talk to him. And so then when I'm talking to him, or she's talking to him, then I get sucked in. Then a few seconds into it, I find out they have all the jobs that everybody else has. And I was like, okay. So I'm talking to him on Tuesday at the high school. And then essentially two weeks later, I'm raising my right hand for the Marine Corps in probably a complete 90 degree turn and probably one of the, the hardest things that I've, I've gone through up to that point in my life. And I almost did it as a dare to be great. Like I, it just felt like the harder path was the one that I should travel instead of the easier path. And I've kind of used that in different, like even getting out, I took the harder path. Like I could stay in, you can stay in for 20 years and have a fairly okay life. But I was like, there's something bigger. I need to take that hard path and get out. So for me to join the Marine Corps was like the opposite, but it was that first challenge that was the pulling back the onion. Cause like a lot of what the military does is you don't necessarily get the richness pulled out of you, but you get a lot of like seeds planted that you then get grow they grow later when they get watered at a particular moment in life. And leadership was one of those. Like I really loved helping other Marines figure out that Marine inside them and help pull it out. Kind of like what coaching is. And I didn't figure that out until like 2014 that like, Oh man, I really loved leadership and I had just completely forgotten it. The military or the civilian world just kind of like busted me down. And it was just a hard feeling to process. But then once I reconnected, I was like the Marine Corps really helped pull or build up what I was. I just didn't really be able to see the structure until that moment in life. You're like, you look back, you're like, Oh man, I've had the structure inside me this entire time called leadership and I could use it. So one of the things that strikes me in your story, that's um, really interesting. And it's kind of been manifesting a little bit in other stories with dads is about how, um, our mission in life emerges almost in spite of ourselves, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you put the pieces together of where you are today and where you came from, um, I'm just wondering if you could have ever, I think you even said this a little bit, but you could ever have dreamed, you know, at that age when you signed up for the Marine Corps that you could be where you are today. I would definitely say no. I honestly wouldn't have even been able to predict where I was like, my family never left the country. And to think that the guy that getting stationed in Japan that grew up on a farm, like that's something that I never, I mean, I probably knew it was possible, but I would say I had a very limited view of my vision of my life. And you also like the basic default of society is that you just follow the rules and you build your life and life just unfolds. That's the way it works. And and that's what I followed. But at the same time, 
like that was definitely the harder path. But the part that most people don't acknowledge, and I would say I wasn't acknowledging until I can look back on it, was all of those hard challenges and even losing myself in the civilian world, like all of that created pressure. And that pressure, something that we don't um, understand enough, is that pressure is what can create growth and make the the, the fruit inside yourself come out. Like the the, the almost the, the more pressure you're under like the faster you can grow and the faster you can figure out what you're really meant for like what you're really supposed to be here for and like the marine corps the civilian world where i where i just had uh had my position helped me figure out what they helped the, the the raw part come out of me and if it wasn't for that pressure i wouldn't have started this podcast this podcast my podcast exists as a method for me to find who I am on the inside. But I did, I had to create that choice because I wasn't liking the path that I was on. So sometimes that you can find like, Oh, I want a nice, easy life. And some people they're perfect. They're perfectly happy with that. But for me, like I almost seem to run towards the harder part now, as I look back and I reflect that like the harder part is where you can find the best growth. Love that message. And uh, I think it resonate with, with many people listening. Now, sort of winding back to the conversation, you were talking about how you know there was that pivotal moment when you decided to to talk to a dad in the in the park uh, when your daughter was was there, and 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 then you talked about a five year journey, you know, towards um, kind of growth and change. And I was just wondering how that that time as a parent unfolded for you, because it sounds like you went you know went on a big journey from where you started uh, just after your daughter was born to uh, you know where you are now. How, how have you changed as a dad in that time? I think the first word that comes to mind is more connected that being more connected like oftentimes when you think of your role as a dad the provider is the default part and if you follow the default of society they acknowledge the same portion <coughs> sorry they acknowledge the same portion but that overall feeling doesn't necessarily transpire like if you chase success in your career you're going to probably feel disconnected at home and so before as this as I was growing it was kind of this realization like spending that extra two hours at night working on an email is not something I'm going to wish I did when I was 50 and realizing like you your family time this season of your life moves on and it's this at each kind of week went by each month under pressure and trying to to just reconnect but then also just the journey of like figuring out who I was I used my ability as a dad and connected to other dads, like that helped figure out more of who I was and bring it to the surface as well. And it just creates more connected and presence. And I think as I think of the dad that I am today, the one thing that I am, I am more of is, is I recognize that my family is the best investment of my time and that every other commitment is, is required maybe and needed, but the equipment or the commitment to your kids even your spouse, like that priority will never change. And like even thinking this is something military life gets backwards as well. Like it's a noble sacrifice to serve your country and everybody acknowledges it's noble. And it can also demand a lot from your family. So if it demands a lot from your family, other things get deprioritized. And if you always like use your career as an excuse to hide from something, say hide from being a dad or hide from being married, like if there's friction in a marriage, like staying at work because you're afraid to go home, that's going to create a, uh, 
a disproportionate amount of investment in your, in your marriage and you're borrowing time from your marriage. And when you borrow time from your marriage, you're essentially like a credit card and eventually it's going to go bankrupt. And you need to prioritize your wife in a way that it's the one commitment in your life that goes to the end. And it's probably, if I sum up everything there in that lesson, it's probably learning more about the priorities in your life and the commitments and which ones are going to lead to the, the largest ROI in your life. Like your career is valuable, but there's a definitely a season of your life where you can focus more on your career when the kids don't want to hang out with you. But the season everybody wants back, you can ask almost every adult is the season between birth and probably like eight to 10 years old. Everyone will tell you those years went by so fast. And when you're 50 reflecting back on your life or whatever age you're reflecting back, you're going to second guess yourself on those decisions. And I think it's that reflection inward on these, this season that I'm in my life and just being more connected to the magical moments that can happen and kind of embracing the chaos too with it. Like, like knowing that at some point this season is going to end, there's going to be another one. And it's just going to happen one day. And I'm going to wish that my son would just want one more hug at bedtime when he he's doing something that he's really not supposed to, or maybe even getting in trouble with the law. I'm going to be like, man, it was so much easier when you just wanted one more hug. Mm. Even though in that moment, it, it felt like, oh man, damn, I just want to go down and relax. But at the same time, it's going to pass. So just appreciation for what comes in the moment is something that I think I really more fell in love with and why I love being a dad more and why it's something that fuels me and excites me. And I even now love helping other dads reconnect with their families as well. I mean, you know, I think it's beautiful what you just shared and, and, and such a, a kind of a wise insight um, that, that many other dads, I think, will, will resonate with. Um, and, and, and you've been telling us about your journey to, to get to this place, but I'm really curious, and I don't even know if you can answer this, but how, how you get to that place of insight you know, for yourself, because it sounds like, you know, you've really um, got to grips with what you want from your life and what you want from being a dad. And how have you got to that, that clarity of mind for yourself? It's a little bit, I don't know whether, I think it's part of me because I am also my entire life, whether it was used for, for good or bad, I had a superpower for overthinking <laughs> and I was always a very deep thinker and I could deep think a problem over and over. Like my brain is like a CPU just solving multiple problems at the same time. But at the same time, I could also, I was always good at seeing the big picture. So I could like deep think about something and then extrapolate it really quickly. And my mind kind of works like MacGyver. I can take abstract things and put them together, which that also helps me kind of troubleshoot. And I've loved troubleshooting. I love solving problems, which is something most men like doing. And I essentially just took that power inward. And like all of the things that I started questioning and that I didn't like in my life, I really almost, I took them as an internal process that I need to continue to help dive deeper and deeper and deeper into who I was. And there is one thing that we don't do well in society is take responsibility for our life. That it is so easy just to ex out or um, outsource your responsibility and blame other circumstances. Even now with coronavirus, there's a thousand good reasons why your life isn't exactly where you want it right now. But there are also a thousand reasons why you're still probably not doing enough to change it. And you're not taking that personal accountability. And so it's just that internal reflection that I think as I just started asking these better questions, like I've heard it said, like the quality of your questions is the, determines the 
quality of your life. And you just got to be able to start asking yourself really hard questions. And, and it's almost in a way that like the one thing that people get stuck on is they, and I've been a guilty of this. So I had to go through the process of realizing I had to internalize the solution, but like you can easily start blaming other things. Like I said, but you have to almost treat them as fact. And you have to figure out a way to grow and take action despite the facts that surround you. And what I also realized is that like, like remember going back to that pressure example, like when you're under pressure, that's when you can grow more. And I'm a very emotional guy in general. And I can, I can relate that back to my, my grandmother was at the end of our driveway and she was there always at the end of the day. And she was like a warm chocolate chip cookie, always there, always morsel and always perfect. And that kind of taught me this feeling of love. And I think being around her most during the day and when, like that was where I was at in the summer most of the time, like I just got in connected with that feeling of feeling love. And so as I looked inward on my own story and at pressure, love was one of the major things that came out of my life or came out. And I just started kind of, figuring it out more and more and more. And there's something that I've really kind of like my kind of like my thesis that I've been putting together in my head of where I am. Like one thing that I never really got good at for even up into like the last six months was masculinity. Masculinity was something I just got so stuck on. Like I read books on it. I hear podcasts, but I was just like, I don't really know a definition that I make. I, I, I just, just always overthought it. And it never felt something that like, I don't think I'm masculine enough to be a man. But then I was going through a Tony Robbins course and essentially I got this, this whole construct that like masculinity is like being able to stand in a hurricane and be an oak tree and just continue to be anchored and unflinched. Like your spouse, her feminine side is very strong and strong winds and she's going to bring you storms. And if you get triggered by any of those words or feelings or thoughts, like if she tries to tear you down, she's testing you. But if that makes you defeated, well, that's not her problem. That's your problem. Like that's a story you're telling yourself. Like those triggers inside, like if your kids piss you off, like that says more about you than it does about them. Mm -hmm. And it's really getting to a point where you're at peace with yourself because you're no longer like these stories of like, oh, that trigger reminds me of something from my high school days. Masculine is when you feel an inner peace that you can help others that have storms going on, but that's really where you want to get to you. Like every time you feel triggered, there is a story, a feeling or a thought that you're not processing almost. I get, you're probably going to say it hundred percent of the time. Anytime you're triggered, that is something that you're not dealing with. And that's not about the person that triggered you. Yes. They maybe didn't do it in the right way, but it's more about you than it is about them. And Nothing you can do will change the other person's view. You almost accept it as fact and look inward and say, what could I do to work through this trigger so it no longer is a weakness, but a strength. And just kind of slowly over those five years, I've worked through to the point where there aren't, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I still have quite a few storms on the inside some days, especially as I go through COVID-19 and redesign my life to try to be a stay-at-home dad. There's a lot of insecurities and feelings around that. But at the same time, I, I breathe back into my heart because I recognize the heart is what creates that strength for men and your mind is what's going to pull it away. It's going to convince you that everything around you 
is fear-based and it's just kind of your old 2000 year brain working, but in your heart, like that's where you feel most alive. So I've really just been trying to work. That's why I love when I first saw your uh, podcast, I was like, me and him are going to get along perfect <laughs> because your heart is where your, your presence comes from. It's where your strength comes from. It's where you feel most alive. Like when you give raw, raw love to someone, whether your wife, your kids, a stranger, like that's when you feel the most connected to your being. And it, it but you, it doesn't come natural. You just got to slowly work on that. There's a great book. I think it's called Heart Led Leader. And he talks about the, the, the journey of 13 inches from your head to your heart and how these different kind of milestones to get to your heart. Because when you get heart centered, like everything becomes a little bit easier because you're coming from a place of love. And there's uh, I just did a podcast episode on Frozen, the whole both movies and how there's a story of a veteran hidden and there's a story of all of us hidden in the movie Frozen from Disney. And there's a big lesson through all of that, that love conquers fear. And if you can learn to lean into love versus the fear that you feel, you'll be able to overcome those big challenges you have in your life. I, lo I love this segment of the, uh, the discussion, Ben, and uh, I mean, everything you've been talking about heart uh, really resonates with me. And I suppose, um, I mean, we've had to turn the cameras off because <laughs> the connection's not brilliant, but my, my eyebrows haven't literally been raising, but I've just been kind of <laughs> listening, thinking like uh, you, um, you don't correspond with my stereotype, which is a stereotype of a military veteran in that sense. You know, this is kind of not what I would have expected to hear. I get that a lot. Crazy. But, you know, I, yeah. I remember there was one, uh, one friend that I was, tell, I, was, um, I was telling him that I cry. And because I cried happy endings, sad endings, I cry freely within a minute openly. And he's like, Marines don't cry. And I was like, well, I hate to burst your bubble, but this Marine does. And to take it even more, like for my entire life, I've never been a hugger. I've, my family's never been a hugger. I've always avoided it and it always felt uncomfortable. But if I look back, it was really me just not being myself. And I went to a dad conference and there were 60 dads that we were friends on Facebook in a Facebook group and we were meeting for the first time and we've never met in person. I went in there completely scared out of my mind. Like, what if they don't like me in person? What if this person online wasn't the same as in real life? I go in there with start shaking and... By the second dad, he upgraded to a hug. And by, by the end, hugging was the standard. But by the end, somehow, I still don't understand how it all started. But like, I got labeled as the guy that gave good hugs. And <laughs> I was like, that, that, I've never hugged my entire life. So then I just kind of owned it. And now it's kind of like my signature thing that I do. Uh, it's almost like my, my business card that like people remember <laughs> me by the hug I gave them. But like a Marine right. that gives good hugs and and cries that is an oxymoron sentence in itself yeah, yeah. of a stereotype that you probably think of or when you see a commercial exactly. for the marines like that isn't your default but that stereotype is often where military members are trying to live in and then we don't give mm. ourselves permission to feel whoever we need to feel like i was a classic yeah. example of that i didn't cry openly i remember there's a show in the united states called back in the day called extreme makeover where they would build a house in seven days mm -hmm. i would cry every time at the end of that bus moving and I would be in Okinawa watching this. The door was always closed when I was watching Extreme Makeover because I was not going to get caught dead crying at the end of Extreme Makeover. Now I don't really care. But back then it was still something yeah. going back to like, I wasn't comfortable being who I was or I didn't give myself permission to really not give an F what, what people were thinking. Yeah. Whether I cry yeah. or not. Beautiful. I, I love that you're subverting that stereotype. <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask you was, um, I've been asking other dads about you know, their relationship with their own father. And you talked about how you're, your grandmother was, you know, such a, a force for love in your life. But 
How did your relationship with your dad play out? How has that shaped you? So I would say it, I don't really fully know the dynamics of it, but um, so my dad and his two sisters and family moved to the farm I grew up on in like 1967. They've grew up there for like probably 15 years. And then and my dad was getting ready to take over the farm and my grandma and grandpa built a house at the end of our driveway. They parceled out an acre of land and my dad took it over. And so my grandpa was still coming to the farm every morning with my dad and and I want to say in 1987, it was a regular morning and my grandpa had a heart attack in the milk house. And just like that, an hour later, he was gone at the hospital. And my dad's never really talked about it. And I often wonder like how he went back out into that barn that night and had to do chores and how he got through it. And I don't really know how it's shaped, but a lot of my dad was, he was the kind of guy that would lead by example but he was a man of few words and he would tell you what to do or not tell you what to do, but he would lead what he needed to do. And even something like a good example is he was a master networker. Like he, in the County we live, like everybody knew him. There wasn't a farmer that didn't know the last name Colloy. I, I was the exact opposite of that, but I didn't really realize that that like, you need that in life. You need that connection. That probably what helped him get through. Cause he was never alone. Like he had someone to always talk to. There was, always a farmer coming up that wanted something from him and he was always helping him for free just to help him out and take help someone take care of themselves like that was an example that I didn't really know how to translate that in my own life till years later and so he was there he was a good dad I would say I don't have really anything negative but there was definitely gaps that then I had to go back and kind of fill in myself and just kind of create uh, my own best version which is to be more connected to be present to be more emotionally connected to coach my kids through the emotions that they're feeling. And that's something that I use kind of like that, my superpower of emotions and understanding and love to not judge my kids feelings because they have a limited understanding of the emotions that they're feeling. And we have it at nighttime. I call it bedtime talk where my oldest who has a lot of emotions, she's an eight year old girl. And we talk about the things that happened during the day. What could she done differently? How would she feel about that? How could she like kind of step back from whatever she's feeling to look at it objectively? Those are things that I do. And, but those necessarily weren't things that I had in my life. But again, I think the gap created who I am and, and allowed me to be even deeper. And there's something that I figured out maybe three years ago. So I was writing a blog post entitled uh, why I'm worth it. So I was in a deep place. I felt like going back to that, like not feeling worthy of people around me, friendships. And a friend of mine said, you should write a letter to yourself, explain to yourself why you're worth it. So again, I'm typing this letter to myself, but it's the context of like a close friend reminding me why I deserve to live. And so I'm writing this letter and all of a sudden, I'm not sure where it came from, but I say the most profound thing I've ever said to myself. I start typing like early in life, you think that all of that crap that happened to you in high school, all of that stuff, all of those bullies, all the people that said you couldn't do it, all of that is what's holding you back in life. But I want you to remember that early in life, people push you down so that later in life, you could pull people up. And that hit me like a bag of bricks because it gave everything that happened to me purpose. And there's something that it's easy to say, but it's harder to do. But the one belief you always should believe in, Frozen also proves it like everything in life is, is happening for you in a way way that you just can't see and you need to trust that process and it's not happening intentionally 
but everything that happens will enable you to move through the next challenge. Like I can recognize it on someone's face when they, when they need that friend. Like when I see that 30 year old Ben in someone's face, like I will instantly reach out and be a friend to them. And even my podcast, I say, I'm always willing to be the friend in your life that I wish I had in my life five years ago. But that's only because I was there. And I was in a coaching call the other day and someone thanked me for a comment that I gave another dad. And I instantly replied back, like, when you've been to the bottom, you can't help but pull people back up on the way back up. And like, again, all of that, like, I didn't like it at the time, but now it creates a depth to me because I had to go through that emotional journey. I had to go through the emotions of my own emotions, but that gives me a depth. I, then I can help other people see that in their life as well. So it's crazy how it all works out. And um, <laughs> PTSD is another good example. Like it's like a thousand piece to, snap on toolbox in your life. If you have like traumatic anything in your life, at some point you're going to have a moment where you're like, oh man, that happened. And now I can understand how I can help someone because I went through that. Whether it be a loss of a friend, whether your friend died in Iraq or Afghanistan, whatever it may be, at some point that changed you in a way that you'll be able to help someone later down in your life that you'll be like, man, I was really not like happy that person no longer here, but happy that I was able to receive that gift of that event because now I was able to help someone lower the burden on their life later. Mm. I love that. I love that reframe, particularly around uh, trauma. I think that's that's brilliant, Ben. I just want to, in the last phase of the, of the discussion, want to swing back into you and your podcast and your business. And, you know, one of the things I've been exploring with other dads is how, um, you know, they, they find the sweet spot between kind of their personal ambition and um, their investment in themselves and their family as a, as a, as a sort of another big part of their lives. And, you know, you were talking about the seasons earlier and how, um, investing in your marriage and your relationships is kind of absolutely top priority for you. But, you know, clearly you're doing some amazing things with your podcast. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're building your profile, you're trying to build a business around it. And I just like to hear a little bit about how you're navigating those waters between your personal ambition and your, and your family life. So I would say when I did have a job was all of last year and I had a podcast, I always said, I'm not going to, build a podcast that helps military dads while sacrificing my ability to be a good dad. So oftentimes I would go slower than I needed to. I would manage that ambition and be like, no amount of podcasts is ever going to make this memory come back. And I would always kind of default to leaning into whatever moment the kids want me to have, or I would maybe not do something in the afternoon that day if I could move my podcast forward by doing something. But if I was choosing my family, I was always choosing the right thing. And there's a, um, a a uh, Christian speaker here in the United States, he's no longer with us, Billy Graham. And there was a quote that really hit me and I kind of used it as a guiding light through this, that he's spoken in stadiums of 60,000 people. And he would have had a, he said that he would have had a greater impact on this world if he would have spent that exact same amount of time with his kids. And so I always remember that no matter what I'm trying to create, no matter what I'm trying to do, my, the investment of time in my kids, because there's something else that I talk about a lot is Kids spell love T-I-M-E. So if you can give the gift of time and you can give them the gift of feeling loved, those little deposits will lead them into a better adulthood. And something else that kind of like my big takeaway from my podcast is legacy. And 
Like most dads don't recognize that your everything you do every day is a limited effectiveness, but the ability to be the best dad that you can be and to create amazing adults can create generational change. So I always keep that in the back of my head. And I always kind of also use the seasons of life that is this the right season for me to be doing this? And public speaking was a similar one of those. Like I always said, like, okay, I'll be a public speaker when I'm 45 and the kids don't want to be hanging out with me. So I started kind of working on public speaking training for it. I joined Toastmasters and, but I was like, this is just getting ready for it. I'm 45. And then, so after I lost my job, I was like, I think I have an opportunity to try to go in all in on this and take my 10 year dream and do it in six months now. Coronavirus just kind of blew that up with public speaking, but I still had the idea of framing it in seasons and like, not every idea is meant for this season because if you compare it with what you look back when you're 50, was that the right season to take that idea? Cause like your life is long and it may not seem like it, but you have lots of seasons to try to do different things and framing it with the seasons is really helped me say no to the right things and say yes to also the right things. Uh, it's very, very inspirational as has been everything you shared today. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Can you hear me still? I, think I can hear you still there. It went, yeah, went yeah. away for, for a second. Yeah, I was just saying thank you so much for everything you shared. It's been a real inspiration today. And uh, it's been great having you on the on the podcast. I appreciate it, Matt. And if there's anybody that, like I said, a conversation can change your life. I have my cell phone number on my website, militaryveterandad.com. Reach out. Don't be afraid. And I often say, like I already said, life gives you more than you can handle, share the load, find someone to talk to, because in that moment, that's what's going to move your life forward. And like I also said, the amount of opportunity is directly proportional to the amount of strangers you talk to. Yeah, I love that lesson amongst the very many that you shared so richly today. So thanks again for taking the time to, to be with us and uh, for sharing your resources as well. And we'll put a link to the, to the site in the show notes as well. And I appreciate you, Matt, and I appreciate your mission and I appreciate appreciate the heart-centered approach that you bring to life as well for dads. It's been great talking to you, Ben. Thank you.